Welcome back to another edition of the C10 Living Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Lodick. Hope you're doing wonderful. I'm doing really good. We now have a six-week-old, so the sleep thing has been kind of interesting, but it's actually been better than our previous two. You know, so we're a little tired, but it's been better and actually don't feel too bad for being six weeks in. But as we continue to add to our family, I keep thinking more and more about the lessons, the financial lessons that I want to be teaching my kids as they grow up to give them as much of an advantage as they can have when they get a little bit older. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. I'm going to drop you in on an interview I did with Art Rayner about how we can teach our kids about money and some tips and strategies and uh, just some little lessons that you might be able to apply to your parenting that can help give your kids a little bit of a leg up and perhaps learn some lessons the easy way rather than the hard way, if that's possible. So I hope you find this helpful. And with that out of the way, let's get to it. We're going to talk about some money lessons that you should be teaching your kids. Art actually wrote a blog post about this. I thought it was really good. And so I thought we could have a little bit of a discussion about it. But um, we'll get into that in just a second. But Art, thank you for taking some time to hang out today, brother. Uh, so much for, for having me. I appreciate yeah, it. It's my pleasure. Art wrote this book. It's called The Money Challenge. And I really like it because I don't know if you can tell, but it's pretty, it's pretty short. It's not a real big book. And so you can get through it really easily. And it's really practical, but also like a lot of spiritual depths to it. Just really good book. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Like I said, we're going to talk about money lessons you should be teaching your kids. And I have a five-year-old now and we're just kind of getting started on this. And um, I have a, also have a almost two-year-old and we haven't really touched on much yet, but our five-year-old, we've been teaching him some things. And so first question here or idea that you mentioned in this blog post is that money is the result of work. <laughs> And this is a foreign concept to a lot of people these days. Tell me a little bit, elaborate on this a little bit for me. Well, I, I have three kids of my own. So ages eight, five, and two. And so this one comes out of my own life experience at this point, but it money's the result of work because my two oldest boys seem at times to think that money just grows on trees yeah. and that whatever they want, they can get by just asking and that it's okay to waste food, that it's okay to waste, to break their toys, that there's really no consequences, that it's just not, not a big deal, that you can always get some, some other, other toy, you can always get more food. And so it, it, was, it was birthed out of that idea that I'm, I'm re- my wife and I are constantly telling our, our boys, hey, you know, we actually have to, you have to work for food. You have to work for these things that they just don't appear out of, out of nowhere. And if that is not taught as a child grows older, then they may assume that, well, that you don't really have to work very hard to actually earn a living, which can be detrimental going into college and then out of high school. If you enter into college and then out of college with that that particular mindset, and it can result in laziness and entitlement. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like so much of our society, we, you can tell, you can see adults who never learned this lesson as a kid, you know, and it's like, once you get to adulthood, I think you, at some point, it's going to click that you do have to actually do some work, but the dependence on credit cards and the dependence on a lot of these things that we've created as Americans to satisfy our every need and desire whenever we want. Yeah. I just think these are really good and important lessons that yeah, we should be teaching our kid. So that's definitely one that we've started working with our with our son Alden. 
you know, and just trying to start incenting him. And, and at this point, we're not like, because he's only five, like he doesn't really understand the concept of money and in terms of the value that I put on it. He still sees it as a coin right. and as a piece of paper. You know what I mean? But we've done something with a jar that he fills up with Legos. And then when he fills that up with Legos, then he gets to basically get a toy. And so that's kind of his form of currency right now. And that's worked really well to just begin teaching him this idea of, you know, you do a chore, you can put a Lego in the jar, and then that's going to get closer to actually buying something. Um, Are there any practical things along those lines that you guys have done that have been helpful? Well, talking about it on a pretty regular basis is one and identifying the times when you can talk about it has been important to us. Um, As you would probably expect, we don't shy away from the, from the money conversation in our house. It's, um, something that we we talk about on a, on a pretty regular basis. We do chores. We have chores every every weekend for our kids, and right now they're trying to save up for I believe some type of Xbox that they that they want. And we don't yeah. do a lot of, a lot of video games in our house, but they really want an Xbox. And so we said, okay, well, if you want this, then you're going to have to to work for it. It's not going to just show up. Um, yeah. And so they they have their goal. They know how much money they can they can make each week, and so they're working toward that that end. For um, students, especially as they get older and as they get in college, just understanding that in order to get money, it, it takes work. It's not about swiping a credit card. It's not about logging on to a to a video that promises to make you a million dollars overnight. That there's real work involved, and so to respect that concept. And uh, in this blog post, uh, number two point you made was that money is finite. And um, this is another one that, man, I've seen some adults, I'm sure you've heard from some too, who have not learned this lesson yet. Tell me your thoughts on this. Well, you were in the banking industry. Um, yeah. I, I was actually in the banking industry as well. So I've seen many adults that uh, <laughs> that have not learned this particular lesson that once the money runs out of your account, you don't have any anymore. It obviously leads to debt, to over draft charge, all these, all these um, bad things that come along yeah. with spending more than you actually have. Now, if you assume that, or if you teach somebody that, hey, money's fine, it is limited. The good thing about that is that they then have to, it forces them to, to plan, right? It forces yeah. them to create this thing I know it's, it's a bad word, but we'll talk about it. It's called a budget. Um, and, uh, and it forces them to think through how to manage their finances well. For kids that are teenagers and college students, just the concept that, hey, you know what? It's not an unlimited resource that there's going to come a time when you will run out of, out of money. If you make money, you will eventually run out of it if you don't keep track of your spending. Yeah, yeah and I think the biggest thing for me with all this is the the challenge for us in the 21st century in this regard is with credit cards because they're a tool that are just a part of our society what you know whether we like it or not it's a tool that is almost used by everybody you know in, in America and many other um first world countries i don't i don't know and it's just one of those things where what is possible, like we can deny and, and fight against this idea that money is finite for a long, long time if we play our credit card game well. You know what I mean? And I, I think we've all seen people like that. And I think the worst thing is college and maybe in the 20s, like where you can go a long, long time just getting everything you want and buying everything you can imagine and just keep pushing it off further and further down the line, kicking that can down the road further and further. But at some point, it's going to catch up. 
you can't do that till you die. Like, I mean, assuming you live a, a full life, you know, it's going to catch up. In terms of teaching our kids this, this has been um, one where I haven't had a super great opportunity to teach Alden this yet, but but I'm working on it because he's got a piggy bank. And so we're, we're working on filling this piggy bank up and we'll take some of the money in his piggy bank. And we'll go to the store and buy a toy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this is how I'm starting to teach him about money a little bit, but it is really difficult because in, in terms of teaching this to a five-year-old anyway, because he knows that I'm still going to whatever, buy him a birthday present or buy him a Christmas present or something like that. And he hasn't just made that separate connection yet with all this. So how have you handled this with your kids? Any ideas, suggestions? By saying no. I I know it sounds really, really simple. (laughs) Yeah. But we will say and take advantage of the opportunity to say no. And we don't leave it just hanging as a, a just no. You just need to deal with it. Um, but we, we explain and say, no, we can't afford that right now. And there shouldn't be shame when, when you say something like that. I know that often it seems like yeah, that's a bad thing to say. It's either shame attached to it that we can't afford. No, that's a great thing to say to your kid that, Hey, we can't afford that right now. Cause it teaches him something that there's a reason behind a no. And there's this idea that there's going to be times when you can afford things and when you cannot afford to purchase certain items. And so we try to take advantage of when we can say, no, we view that as an opportunity. Yeah, that's really good. I really like that a lot. Cause yeah, it is teaching them the same lesson, the same thing that we as adults need to know we're out of money, we're out of money. You know, it is a no, it just comes from someone else. It doesn't come from our parents at this point. That's right. So that's really good. All right. So kind of leading into the next one is debt. This idea that debt is not something that's beneficial as a whole, you know, and especially the Bible in our case, like we both are believers. We both understand that the Bible has some things to say about this. So tell me a little bit about how you're handling debt with your kids, kind of communicating some stuff to them about it. Yeah. I can't say that I've actually talked to my kids that much about debt. I've talked to a number of high schoolers, college students, and of course, young adults and beyond about debt. Where I always point them is really where the the Bible starts with money, and that's generosity. Um, So I point them to our priority that we have as believers, according to the Bible, with our money, is that we're supposed to be generous with it. We're supposed to give it's the first thing that we do. And I say, this is ultimately God's design for your money. You're supposed to use it to advance his kingdom. Now you get to enjoy it, but you also are using it to advance his kingdom. And say, if that's your priority, then things like debt can then become a hindrance to that priority, to to living out and to using your money for what God has has designed you to do and what your money was, was supposed to be for. And so I point them to the ultimate why. I sometimes think we get the why wrong. Like we, we often treat being financially healthy as the as the why why we need to get out of debt, why we need to avoid debt, why we need to save money for retirement, you know, savings account, emergency funds. Yeah. Yep. When really those are just means to a much greater end. And that's where we can live with our hands wide open saying, God, whatever you want me to do with it, I can do with it. Whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, I can I can go because we've been good stewards of those resources. And so I talk about debt as a hindrance to being able yeah. to live out God's design for money and, and for themselves because we're designed to be generous. We enjoy yeah. being generous with college students in particular. It's explaining to them that that college debt 
that you're taking on, those papers that you're signing that you might not fully understand what you're signing, those, those are going to have significant ramifications down the road. I know it's, it's weird to think about, but that signature on that paper, that money that you're taking is going to prevent you from purchasing a home when you want to. It's been known to delay marriages. Um, it's been known to delay having children. It's going to be a mega issue in your life. So before you sign that paper, understand that you are taking on a burden. Um, the Bible calls it a burden. And the Bible also says that even though it's a burden, you're going to have to pay it back. It's not that you're going to be able to get out of it. It's a burden that's going to be on you until you, until you pay it off. And it's going to have significant ramifications in your life. It's going to, it's going to hinder your dreams that you have right now. Yeah. And I think the thing, I mean, for me, I, when I was in college, I took on a decent amount of student loans. I think I had probably 45,000 total. Mm -hmm. And I, as a college student, had no idea what, you know what I mean? Like, cause when you're, I feel like when you're going into college, you're just thinking, I'm going to get a good job as soon as I get out. And I'm going to pay things off in a couple of years and it's no big deal and whatever. That's, and most students think the same way. They're, they're all thinking that it's not that they're going in there thinking, I just want to take on a bunch of debt. They're, that's not what they're thinking. They're unaware of the, the long-term ramifications for that signature and taking on that money. Yeah. I mean, and I think more now than, you know, when you and I were going into college, the, the promise of having a fantastic job after getting your college degree, I mean, you know, obviously depending on what, field of study you're in, it's just a very different thing. I didn't get a good job after college. I mean, I actually was kind of stuck in a dead end job and was having a hard time getting out. And I, I think there's just a lot of people finding that same thing. And yeah, I would just hate to be somebody going to school, spending a hundred thousand dollars on college right now, just thinking they're going to walk out, get a great job and just everything's going to take care of itself, you know, really quickly, you know? Yeah, more often than not, it doesn't take care of itself. Um, I hope that everybody gets a, gets a great job out of college. I hope that happens for, for them. Yeah. The reality is that most are not going to gonna have that experience. That's not most people's experience, even when we went to college. Um, yeah. My first job out of college was not glamorous by any stretch of the imagination and did not pay much at all, um, which was typical. That's the typical route most people take. Yeah. All right, so next on the list is... Um yeah, and, I, and a lot of these kind of tie together a little bit. I mean, but this idea that instant gratification leads to delayed financial health. No doubt we live in an instant gratification society. <laughs> I think we all know that. Um, that is the key. I remember hearing Jeff Bezos talk about this. Pretty much the key to their success has been how do we give people exactly what they want, everything they can imagine, as fast as they possibly want it. And he's like, people are always going to want it faster. They're always mm -hmm. going to do quicker. Clearly, that's working as a business model. Tell me how this applies to teaching our kids about money. Well, I, I can go back to the illustration of my kids saving for the, uh, the Xbox. Xbox. Yeah. Um, ironically, my kids want the first generation Xbox. I don't know why they want <laughs> that, but that's what they're, they're going for for some reason. So yeah, it's, it's cheaper, um, which is great. But teaching them that it takes time to save up, to earn something, um, that word earn, that there has to be skin in, in the game, that there's, that there's time between desire and fulfillment. And I can't say that every time that we've done this, that they've followed through and that they have attained their, their goal. So I, I had a, a reading plan for my oldest son. I said, if you read so many books, 
you read, uh, I gave them actually newspaper articles to read and pick out everyday newspaper articles from you. If you read these, if you do this, then I will take you to a, to a, this was a college football game. I'll take you to a college football, but you have to do these things first. Started out strong doing it, but eventually stopped doing it. Of course, he didn't end up going to the game, which was a natural consequence for not following through. And so it's just finding those goals that they, in, at least initially, desire and providing them a path to attaining that particular goal and making sure you follow through with it as a parent. So in, encouraging them in that, that direction. And then, of course, if they actually get there, make sure that you make good on your word, but find those ways to help them work hard towards something that they ultimately desire. Yeah. I think we all know this, but part of this equation too, is that we, uh, we live it out ourselves, you know, because they're watching and they're paying a lot closer attention than, you know, at least I had any idea, like the things that my kids are already picking up on, like they know what's going on. And I, um, Linda and I look for opportunities to, yeah, to just kind of let them in, you know, we don't, you know, especially at their age, let them in on all the dirty details of our finances. But anytime we get a chance to say, hey, we are saving up for this and we are waiting for this and and we're not going to buy this until we have saved up this much money or whatever it is, uh, just to show them that we're doing this too. And that this is part of being an adult. This is part of handling money the right way. You know, hey, I can't understate the importance of just talking about money in general everything that's going on in your life. Of course, we talk about our giving. We give online. So our kids don't, aren't able to, to see us. We, we have these plastic buckets that you, that yeah. you put money in in church. And so they don't get to see that because we give online. So we make sure that we're intentional about talking about it, that we, yeah. we give, we give to this, we give to, the, give to our local church first, we give to some other, other nonprofits that we're passionate about. And so we, we talk about it. It's a normal conversation for our family. Yeah, that's good. And then this is a kind of point I want to talk about a little bit more, just the idea that God is the owner and provider of everything. And this is definitely one that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of adults don't understand this. And I think if you understand this concept from a young age, I think just think there's so much power in it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. First, say be, be careful with telling your kids that God is the owner of everything because it can come back and haunt you. Tell um, me about that. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've said, "Hey, no, that's that's Dad's phone. Don't touch it. <laughs> it's not Dad's. It's not your phone. It's God's phone." Uh, <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm telling you, just because we've reiterated that everything's God's and yeah. that He owns it. He owns it all. And so our kids have latched onto that. And yeah. they'll come back and say, no, 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 you, you can't claim that's yours. That's God's. Well, yeah. yes, but it's, oh, okay, you're right. Just hand me my phone. Um, <laughs> hand me God's phone, please. Yes, yes. Hand me, hand me God's phone. It's amazing that uh, that we serve a God, that yeah, the parable of the talents is the, the perfect example of this. Is when you see the master handing over talents, money to uh, these servants, and if you notice in the parable, those talents, as it when it first, it never switches ownership. It never says the servants' talents. It's always the it's always the master's talents. Yeah. Even in their own, even when it's in their hands, it's still the master's talents. And of course, when he returns, they hand back what is rightfully his. One of the pieces I think that we often miss with that story 
is that it really actually provides, it showed, demonstrates the why for our money. Um, God gives us these resources. And what does he celebrate? Well, he celebrates when, when the master returned, he celebrates those that have, have essentially expanded his kingdom with his resources. So that master had greater earnings or owned more when he returned than when he had left. And that's what was celebrated. And so it just underscores the importance that God gives us these resources to enjoy. That's First Timothy 6, 17 to 19. He absolutely gives us everything so that we can enjoy, but also so that we can advance his kingdom. And that's ultimately what he's going to celebrate. And so it's all his. We have an incredible honor to be able to take it and, and use it to impact our community, impact our, our city, and impact the world for his sake. My wife was kind of raised in the church, and I wasn't. And so she, from a young age, gave 10% of her income to her church and like just always did that. So it was never a challenge. It was never even a step of faith in most cases for her to give 10% because it was just always what she had done. Me, on the other hand, going from giving zero of my money on a regular basis to this idea of 10% was like, that's huge. That's a lot of money. You know what I mean? I'm not at all stuck on the 10% because again, it's all God's money. Like Mm -hmm. it's all his. But the point is, is that if we are giving consistently from a young age, I I feel like it's just a whole lot easier to transition to adulthood. And it's less of an abrupt thing that we need to go through. It is, but you've also hit on the caution there. I, I think we should absolutely teach generosity with our kids and that it is the priority for our finances. At the same time, we as adults have to be careful that it just becomes this habitual thing that we do that we don't even think about because that's not what the Bible teaches either. The Bible teaches sacrificial giving. And often I I hear, I hear people saying, you know, I've I've tithed all my life, you know, and I I know they really haven't, but I understand what what they're saying, but often it's a, just a simply just a box checked that they've done their good deed by giving 10%. And that's not what the Bible commands us to do at all. Um, That is supposed to be an act of sacrifice and which is something it's kind of uncomfortable to, to say that, but we, we see that throughout scripture. And so we have to be careful and have to check our own hearts and, and uh, where we are with our generosity and whether or not this is just a box checked and it's easy, we don't even have to think about it, or something, it's a sacrifice that we're intentionally making. So teach kids to be generous, that they're to hold their money loosely, hands wide open, ready to, to give whenever God prompts. At the same time, even we as adults, we don't want to get in the pattern of just checking boxes because that's not what God wants either. Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel like as we stay obedient to him, yeah, I mean, because this 10% thing is is interesting because you're right. I I run into so many people who that is their, um, uh, I don't know what the best way to describe it is, but just where they've rested their laurels. And Mm -hmm. I honestly just don't, I don't know. I feel like that's a stopping point and not even a stopping point. It's, it's a mark post along the journey of giving where if we're just really following him and seeking after him and obeying what he's telling us to do, I, I have a hunch that most of us are going to be given beyond that point and he's going to stretch us and just continue to stretch us in face with that. And that's what he's done in our lives. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I see that pattern over and over again. And when you look at the examples that God gives us, those that he points out, 
for us as illustrations on how to give. And I think of the widow's might or the widow's gift. There was a room full of people dumping large amounts of money into the temple treasury. But it was the widow who gave two coins that Jesus pointed out and said, you know, no, she gave more than anybody else. Why did he point out her? It's because the Bible says that she gave all that she had. In God's economy, amount sacrificed always supersedes amount given. And so it is about the sacrifice, not necessarily the box that's checked. Plus, the whole tithe, I understand where it comes from. Of course, we you probably know this, have talked about as well. As you look at the Old Testament, and you look at the Israelites and how much they actually gave, it could yeah. range all the way up to 33% in a given year because there are multiple times that they, that they would give. And so yeah. it's not about the 10%. It's often much more than that. That's God is, God is looking for the sacrifice in our lives where we're truly saying it's all yours anyway, and you can take whatever you want. Yeah. That's good, brother. So yeah, let's kind of wrap this thing up. So you're working on a kid's book? Yeah, absolutely. I'm no longer working on those. So they will hit, I believe July 15th is the date. And it's completely different type of writing. Um, It's a lot of fun. In fact, I had my eight-year-old read each of the books. The first book, I'd let him read each chapter. And the first chapter, he said, actually, Dad, this is boring. And so I completely scrapped it. And it made sure that it was a fun read, the learning about biblical financial principles, but in a very entertaining way that it's called the, uh, the secret slide money club is the name of the series. And so there's three books that will hit here July 17th. Cool. All right. So people can, I'm assuming go to artrainer.com and, you know, as we get closer to that date, probably pre-order there. Absolutely. Yeah. They're actually already available for pre-order on Amazon or lifeway.com or christianbook.com so they're ready for pre-order now all right well i hope you enjoyed this and if you did feel free to share it with a friend if you haven't heard we recently updated our getting started course which is a five lesson kind of mini course talking about five of the most impactful lessons i've ever shared on the website and if you haven't taken it already definitely head over to the website seedtime.com so you can get signed up for it and so you can get it so you can get into those lessons And uh, I think they're going to be a blessing and a help to you. That is all I have for you today. So have a great rest of your day. Be blessed, be a blessing, and I'll see you next time.